Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everybody. Before we get started on this week's episode of the Believe in Temple Football podcast, a reminder that football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full stream for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fire coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile devices to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. That's B-L-E-A-V in all caps to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC odds too, right to the Olympic coverage. It's the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports teams and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Everybody, welcome back to the Believe in Temple Football podcast. I'm John DiCarlo, editor of AlScoop.com. Happy to be back on the pod again with Adam DeMichael. You guys all know him, former Temple quarterback, former Temple assistant coach. Adam, what's going on, man? How are you? Everything is good over here. Just uh, obviously we enjoyed our the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, had a good Valentine's Day with the wife. You know, my kids got a couple small things for their mom and and hopefully everyone listening had you know got got their significant other or their their, their mother something nice for Valentine's Day and appreciates them. But things are good, man. I'm excited to get back uh, to doing this podcast, and hopefully listeners enjoy it today. Did you did you guys did you and Kathy get a chance to to get out at all? For nah, like, no, no, we, we haven't hit that stage of uh, leaving our kids. Uh, like it, it'll sooner soon soon enough, but we're uh, we're gonna just let them get to sleep and then you know what I mean. Just hang out a little bit, got some food, and um, it was good though. You know, the, the you know my 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 oldest Grayson just will turn three in April. Like he understands, you know, like love day. So he don't know what the heck Valentine's Day is, but you kind of just you know my wife was trying to explain it to him a little bit. So he was all fired up, giving his mom some flowers and some candy. Oh, so it's cool, man. You know, you're you're you you if you guys have kids, I'm sure a lot of you guys do. You could use them to do a lot of cool stuff and you know, make, make, make your wife use them as props. Make your wife happy. There's no doubt. There's no well, doubt. like, so for our Pittsburgh listeners, like if you and Kathy had the chance to get out, like, is there a place that you were, that you guys would uh, want man. to get to or? I don't know. My, my sister, uh, she actually works at a place called Serafino's, a little Italian restaurant. It's a former um, I, football player owns it. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I forget his name off the top of my head. She's going to be mad when I listen. Um, I forget his full name. Whenever she, she she tunes in, but they they got some good food over there. So um, where in Pittsburgh? Where, where is I, it? Like right in the city, right or outside? A little bit outside. Yeah, a little outside. It's a nice little place. Um, it's not overly big. Like uh, she saw like Kenny Pickett. And Kenny Pickett's family goes there to eat all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Pat Narduzzi. Okay. He was just eating there. He was with Signetti. Okay. Whenever, you know he got hired. They went there to yeah, eat. Yeah. So it's one of those little. I mean, again, it's not overly big, but the food's pretty good. So that's probably where we'll end up going. And then, you know, my sister will maybe help help us out with the bill a little bit. You know, I'm not a full-time uh, college football coach anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But it's, it was good, though, man. Well, uh, yeah, we had a, we had a, we didn't necessarily get out last night for Valentine's Day. We went out over the weekend, got dinner, uh, had to 
Adam and I both had stuff going on with our schedules. So sorry for the break. Uh, I want to pay a quick, quick tribute to my little buddy, Sam. He was our, our dog. My wife, Chelsea, and I had him. Um, uh, a little shit too. A- Adam knows how important dogs can be to people. He, mm. Beast made a quick appearance on the pod. You couldn't yeah. couldn't <laughs> see him. Uh, but uh, last episode that, that we brought to you guys with Adam Klein, uh, Beast <laughs> came in and made a quick uh, yeah. a quick appearance at the end. And Adam, you know, he dogs that, right? Yeah, yeah, he did, man. And um, they did a good job. That's some, one of those things where, you know, they'll always remember it. And just one of the things I can bring up to him a couple of years down the line. Man. But again, sorry to hear about your dog. We, uh, it's tough, you know, and it's like, it's like your, you know, that was, that's your first kid. You know what I mean? At the end yes. of the day, it's like, yep. man, I mean, you know, they, they, there's just not enough time with them. No, we just yeah. lost, we just lost our German shepherd. I told you yeah, you know, about a year ago, four years old. So again, man, it's tough. It really is. And you know, dogs are just, they're just, they're, they're too good for us. You know what I mean? Like, yes, they they're are. too good for us humans. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see them again. We'll see them again. Yes, they're 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 family, and yeah, Sam passed away at fifteen. Uh, he was diagnosed with liver cancer around this time last year. And my wife had Sam; she adopted Sam uh, six years before, you know, before we met. And then, like, yeah, he became our little kid. He was like a little, he was like a little stuffed teddy bear. He was like an Ewok, and he would be the first first little guy to to greet you in the morning and and see you when you got home. So. We had to say goodbye to him last week, so uh, I wasn't really in the headspace to record a podcast. A couple of days later, you never realize how much it affects you until until you have one. So, right. Amen. Um, yeah. So, thanks for for bearing with us in the break. So, we got a lot of cool stuff uh, to get into. Um, you know, since we last spoke to you guys on the podcast, Temple rounded out its 2022 recruiting class. So as you know, they only signed three guys in December. Uh, it was before they brought Stan Drayton on. So they added 12 more players to that 2022 class. Um, so that brings it to a total of 15 after they signed the three guys in December. Um, and then there are a couple of guys that they that did verbally commit uh, that didn't sign letters of intent just yet. James Firmino, who um, is going to, you know, fall things you know, stay in line. He's going to be transferring to Temple and enrolling in May. He's an offensive lineman uh, who had played at Houston. He's one of Brandon Collier's guys uh, who's from Europe originally. And then they're also bringing in a Penn State transfer, Joseph Apaya Darqua, who really played sparingly, really didn't play much at Penn State. He's from Germany originally. Another PPA, PPI uh, Brandon Collier guy. Uh, so they're looking to build that depth there. So you won't see them in the list of signees. But again, unless things change, you can expect those guys uh, you know, to be part of the fold when they go to, to preseason camp in August. But uh, so we'll talk about the recruiting class. We'll ask Adam about EJ Warner, uh, asking one quarterback to talk about another quarterback. We'll get into Al Golden in a little bit. Al Golden uh, had the chance to be part of a Bengal staff that went to the Super Bowl, fell just a little short. Al is set to become uh, the new defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. So again, if you're a Temple fan and you've been following the program, you know that Al did a heck of a job as the defensive coordinator at Virginia before he came to Temple and coached players like Adam. And then we got some some mailbag questions for you as well. So a lot of cool stuff to get into. So again, this signing class is at 15 players. Um, It was linebacker heavy. And Adam and I were just talking about this right before we started recording. And, you know, I guess it's fair to say, right, Adam, I mean, this is this is a rebuild. So I, I don't know that you could look at any position on the roster and say they're completely flush with talent there. They probably need help mm-hmm. everywhere, but it looks like 
you know, Stan Drayton looked at DJ Elliott and the scheme he wants to run. And, and um, they must've looked at the linebacker room. And I would imagine, you know, they maybe like what they see in guys like Jordan McGee and Kobe Wilson and, right. and uh, guys like that, but six linebackers here in this class, a couple of Juco guys like Jacob Hollins from garden city community college, Trey Thomas uh, from independence community college. He's originally from Maryland. Uh, they got a kid named Darian Lewis from St. Francis in Baltimore, which is becoming a really good program down there. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, Antoine Santiago, uh, a player from Connecticut, who, uh, as I understand it, was silently committed to the, the previous staff, and they think that they got a, a steal there. Um, Adam, when you just – I mean, again, you're not on the staff anymore. You didn't personally recruit a lot of these guys, but when you kind of take a look at it all, um, you know, six linebackers, a quarterback – um, you know, a, a, you know, a safety and offensive lineman, uh, in the, the first group that happened that, that signed in December, um, yeah. you know, and I want to ask you more about this too, cause you've recruited, but when you look at, when you look at the roster again, I know you'll tell me you have to, this is a two, three year deal where you look at how players pan out and we'll find out down the line, how good they really are. But for a new coach coming in and, um, you know, looking at the needs and the needs were kind of everywhere. How do you think they, how do you think they did just in that short amount of time? You know what it's like to work in that compressed mm. amount of time. Yeah. It, it's difficult um, as a staff. And it's almost like there's, there's two ways you can look at it, John and, and listeners. Again, in, in my opinion, because we had to do this when, you know, Matt Rule left. And, um, and then, you know, you know, when Jeff came in, we had to do something very quickly, similar to what they're going through now. It's like schematically, do you want to fit, the guys that you're recruiting into your scheme, obviously, yeah, like that's probably why they got a couple linebackers. But at the same time, I'm sure he said to himself, hey, listen, let's get the best available players, mm-hmm. you know, and then we can get back. We're still evaluating our guys in the offseason workouts and through the film. So it's like, hey, we're going to get the best available guys. It doesn't matter if it's, again, it could have easily been six O-linemen instead of six linebackers. Um, so – the, the, the positions, I don't think, are, is, is, is that big of a deal to take that many guys. Obviously, you had two from the previous staff, actually three if you talk about, you know, the, 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 uh, the kid from Connecticut that was, um, you know, he was silently committed to Temple. So they already had three. So it's like the new staff came and took two, essentially, because they already had their two guys and they were going to keep those guys committed. So you're excited about, um, you know, I'm sure they're excited about those guys. I'm sure they're excited about the, the transfer running back, the transfer's corner, mm-hmm. you know, guys that have played at, you know, premier colleges and have seen it done at the highest level. You know, it'd be nice when this, you know, we get uh, the Houston offensive lineman, um, James Firmino, and mm-hmm. be nice to get him into the fold and get him, you know, accustomed to what Coach Wiesahan's doing. So I'm sure, again, whether or not they're going to say it, I'm sure that, they're, they're obviously excited about the, step, the, the, the group that they have, um, that they recruited. And again, when you look at it, there's not, a, you know, the numbers aren't, it's not 25, but John, you know, you know, in spring will come, there'll be 1500 kids in the portal and then they'll be fishing again for a couple guys here and there. And that's kind of just how college football is right now. How, you touched on something interesting. And again, you have great perspective on this. You've been through a couple of transitions at Temple, as we've talked about, you were here, when Rod Carey comes in as a former head coach. So you knew that he was bringing most of his guys with him. And then you were also on a part of a process where Matt leaves and then Jeff Collins comes in. So Jeff is not, he was defensive coordinator coming from Florida and not bring, not a head coach saying I've got most of my guys coming with me from Florida. 
So you in in this case, it's Stan coming in as a guy who was the running backs coach at Texas, didn't bring like 20 guys from Texas. And he right. had to fill in that staff. And while he's filling in his staff, he's also filling in a recruiting class. Um, when you when you are piecing things together like that and you, you talk about best player available, how important is that? Because I feel like, you know, I hate to compare to the NFL draft, but when people hear best player available, they immediately think of draft. But this is like what it is for college. It's kind of like your draft. I mean, you, you could like if I, I feel like if Stan said, we have to overly prioritize this position or do this. Like you can make a mistake there, right? If you don't Absolutely. If you look at a guy and say, well, he's a versatile piece. He could play linebacker or maybe he could be a, a tight end down there. Well, like we got to get this yep. kid just because he's good. You can, can't you make, you can make a mistake if you try to focus in too much on one position, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, with, with coach Drayton coming from a place like Texas, I don't think you take guys just to fill the numbers. I don't think you mm-hmm. take guys just to take them. We we've had many conversations in, our staff rooms and say, Hey, you know, this kid's good, but he's not going to win us an AAC championship. So it's like, why would you take him just to fill a spot? Mm-hmm. Now there's certain times where it's like, there's a local kid. There's some sort of connection. He's an athlete. He plays say for instance, he's a wide receiver DB. He can do both. We're going to bring him in because he's, you know, has a little bit of versatility and he's, and we can play him on both spots and he's local and he got a good connection to the high schools in the area. Then we can take a risk there. Yeah. But there's no need for him to go and take a risk on a kid right now in his first year. It, it just, it wouldn't be smart. Now, does he know these kids inside and out? Obviously not. You know, he hasn't been around them long enough. So every kid that signed, there's a little bit of a risk, you know what I mean? With a little asterisk next to it because he doesn't know these kids and their parents and the coaches that he, that they recruited, you know what I mean? That recruited him. So these guys are all risk essentially. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you never know until that time comes when, you know, they put on that cherry and white and get on the practice field and you get them in the classroom and and see how they perform and how they compete. Yeah. If you look down the line and again, I, I'm sure Stan will talk about this in, in the weeks and seasons to come. You know, he's talked a lot about um, he's talked a lot about, you know, that recruiting footprint. I think he gets the importance of, you know, recruiting within that that I guess like Al was the first person to really talk about that footprint, like, you know, not going much North of like say Hartford and then going on into like uh, the Tidewater area, but you've got guys from all over the place here. Um, one of the local guys is Reese Clark from St. Joe's prep who signed um, actually, no, he signed, uh, excuse me. He, he was, he's, he was the first player to commit to temple in the 2022 class, but just, mm-hmm. uh, but just signed. Um, and you've got some other guys from all over the place, a couple of the community college guys, mm-hmm. Uh, like a guy like Elijah Darrell from Garden City, originally from Florida, um, Zamar Grove, a guy, a defensive end from Irvington, New Jersey. Again, I I'd be lying if I said I saw Zamar Grove play in high school. I didn't, but he's six five, two thirty. He's got long arms, and we know how Temple has done with grabbing guys like that in a class. Again, like mm-hmm. people forget, like a guy like Muhammad Wilkerson played a prep year at Hargrave and still didn't have a ton of offers, but Adam knows this. I don't have to tell him this. You bring in a guy. And if you think he's tough and you think he's competitive and he has the measurables, you just develop him and see how things go. So there are some intriguing possibilities here. Obviously a guy like Adam mentioned, uh, uh, referenced uh, Darvon Hubbard, the, the transfer running back they got from Texas A&M, a guy that really was just behind some good backs there, but they're, they might be getting a guy who just needed an opportunity there. So um, 
a, a lot of interesting guys to get to. Adam, before we, we talk specifically about EJ Warner, I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, we've talked about recruiting before, but you've been through it before. What's it like? What's this process like? And for you specifically, do you have any favorite recruiting stories, like any guy that you really kind of stood on the table for where you said, like, we got to take this kid? Or I really, he said something on his visit that really hit home with me because I think there is this common misperception sometimes among fans that you guys as coaches sit around and everybody's like, yeah, that guy's a take. No, that guy's not a take. There, there are conversations that happen, right. Where you got to fight for certain guys and you have to vouch for a guy, right? Yeah, man. I mean, you hit it right on the nose. It, those conversations happen um, quite often, probably too often. And it's difficult because I don't know how Stan recruits. I'm sure he's going to recruit quarterbacks naturally, as you see with, with Elijah coming from Arizona. So quarterbacks and whoever's going to, you know what I mean, the quarterback coach and the OC, that guy's going to go ahead and recruit quarterbacks nationally. Now, he'll have an area, I'm sure, to go ahead and, you know, get different positions. But, you know, there's some staffs out there that recruit positionally. Mm-hmm. So if you're the running back coach, you go and recruit the running backs. It's not like I'm the running back coach. John and um, you're the you're the defensive back coach, right? And your area is Northern Jersey, mm-hmm. and you send me four running backs, and you're standing on the table for this running back that you love, that you've seen live, that I've seen live, that doesn't fit the mold that I want in my room, the guy that I want to coach. But you're standing on the table, banging your hands on the table, saying, "Take him, take him, take him." Mm-hmm. Whatever the reason may be, if you want to get your recruiting numbers up yourself, if you want to get more notoriety, there's all kind of things that happen. And those recruiting rooms and conversations that happen between players, uh, between staffs, and it's just it's just crazy that I don't think fans even understand how it goes. Um, but then again, it's like um, you know, you you sit back and you say to yourself, how how are we going to get the, the best twenty five guys? And you have to come together as a staff and say, this is our blueprint on what we're going to do and how we're going to get it done, and that's those coach straight and. And it just trickles down. Each guy that I've worked for has been differently and done it differently. Everyone has their own little flavor to it. And that's what's important. I mean, if every guy is on the same page and doesn't have the key word I'm going to use here, doesn't have that recruiting ego, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Then you, then you can see some good things happen when you recruit without an ego. And it's hard to do because I've done it. And I push for guys like, you know, like I love Quasi Evans. I love his family. I went to Baltimore to his house. His dad orders pizza, mm-hmm. Pizza Hut. I love I love Devon Fox, um, you know him and Trey Tucker. I've seen them at Penn State camp, and I love Fox. Mm-hmm. I love Trey Tucker, who's at Cincinnati now, mm-hmm. and I love those two guys. Like just phenomenal dudes. And I'm like, we have to take them. You know what I mean? Like Coach Collins, you have to take them. Like this was actually Manny Diaz with with Quazy. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, Quazy was was on the tilt with with his SAT scores. I was like, are we gonna get him? Because if we took Quazy and he didn't pass. You know, this certain amount of classes or the SATs didn't come back the way we have him. You know, he would have just counted against us and, you know, would never came to Temple. Mm-hmm. Man, but I remember at the time, man, he was like, just go get him. You know what I mean? Just make sure he's here. And mm-hmm. two guys I loved, and I obviously I love Ronnie Stevenson, who comes from the Pittsburgh area. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always a connection with guys from your area or your recruiting area, but those are just a few of the guys. Oh, and those are guys that really, you know, we were on our last Al Scoop podcast, we were talking about, um, Obviously, with with Jaden Blue transferring to Virginia Tech, and I, while we're talking about Jaden, I want to offer our condolences to his family. If you follow what happened there, uh, Jaden's father, unfortunately, was 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 his life was taken in Baltimore, and our, our hearts just go out to him. And 
Um, if you follow Jaden on Twitter, he's, he's put something out there, a GoFundMe for his family, just awful senseless stuff there. So our hearts go out to Jaden. Uh, Absolutely. Temple doesn't, you know, uh, you're losing him and you're looking at a wide receiver room now that that really is kind of wide open. So a couple of these guys that Adam's talking about might have a chance, you know, everybody has a chance to prove himself with a, with a new, a new staff uh, coming in. But when you talk about Quasi Evans, Devon Fox, those are guys that might have, you know, a chance to, you know, compete with, you know, like a guy like Ahmad Anderson, we saw him a lot on like some of those jet sweeps and push passes and he's fast there. Uh, But how's he going to be getting on the field? Um, the guy like Cadis Reams, that's kind of like a wide open receiver room. And Ronnie is, yeah, it is. Yeah. starting exactly. to get a few right. more snaps. He has the size. So, you know, those names that you hear Adam talking about there, you know, I, one of the things I love about covering college football is not that it doesn't happen in college hoops, but I, I think, I think Colin Thompson used the word. It's like a slow cooker of a sport where like a guy might be kind of like marinating for a few years. And then like, he comes around as a red shirt junior and like really breaks out. And every fan in the fan base had thought, Oh, this kid was a bust because he wasn't yeah. really playing. And so you could be looking at a few receivers there. The temple really might be, um, might be counting on. Do you have yeah. Adam, do you have a guy that like, that you were maybe a guy that, that you really were like super involved with. You were like, this guy is like my, my child, my son. And like, you saw it through start to finish and you were like, I was really proud of like, I saw something that other people didn't see. Uh, I don't know if there's one like that. I mean, obviously me and Jaden blue were really close. Yeah. We had some really, um, I don't know, let's say personal conversations just about life, about God, about, whatever the heck the case may be. And, you know, he always had a positive mindset and positive vibe. And I just kind of clicked with him um, on a different level. Guys that whenever I used to coach, like Keith Kirkwood mm-hmm. was another guy that just him and I, it's almost like, like if I was at school during the time he was coming out, I think him and I could have been best friends. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just our mindsets were similar. The things that were important to us were very similar. Um, it's still a guy that I keep in contact with um, to this day. But there's a lot of great kids on the rosters. I mean, as I look through it, I'm like, man, this kid, phenomenal kid, phenomenal kid. Jose Barbon, phenomenal kid. Like, mm-hmm. you just look at it, you're like, man, there's some great kids. Like, and you talk about the receiver room, that's the that's the room I'm looking forward to seeing this spring to see who takes that next step. Because like you said, I mean, you lose Jaden, you lose Randall. It's like, hey, man, I mean, there's a couple guys that did some things, but who is going to take the next step um, in their transformation uh, and really just be the guy or be one of those three guys for us, uh, this year. Mm-hmm. So let's look at, again, I think a lot of people are going to want to know what your thoughts on, uh, what your thoughts are on EJ Warner. Again, we would be lying if we said that we spent every week down at Brophy college prep down in Arizona, watching, watching EJ play in person. But, you know, if, um, yeah, his offers were basically like he had, he had Colorado state, he had temple, had a handful of a few other offers, um, had an injury that took away, you know, some of his high school career and, and some of his film. Um, I don't know how that would have changed the arc of his recruitment, but, um, you know, he's, he's listed as six feet, 192 pounds. So I don't know, again, uh, Adam, I'll leave this to you. I don't know if it matters as much anymore. I think you'd still look at him and say, okay, it's six feet, 192 pounds. He's a bit undersized, but, um, Stan Drayton. Sean. John, I was like, uh, they had me at like six foot 195 and I was literally like 5'11", 175 on a good day. If I, uh, whenever I first got to Temple. So 
Yeah. To me, the size, like, I mean, when you talk about, you know, EJ, like, I remember when Temple first said, hey, you know what I mean? They're, they're recruiting him. And I saw the offer on Twitter and I was like, okay, let me go watch. Let me go just go click his Twitter. So mm-hmm. you click his Twitter and he has a, he has a really good personal workout tape. Obviously, I'm training some quarterbacks here now. Right. So I'm doing some of the same things that he's doing. But um, the kid looks taller than six foot. I don't mm-hmm. know who measured him or where they're coming at that yeah. size, but he looks way taller than six foot. Um, uh-huh. But being a, I mean, some of the, some of the positives that I, that I've seen, obviously this would be the non-physical part, but being the son of Kurt Warner is obviously a big deal. Um, I think that when you think about, you know, the Stan Drayton and the offense, it's like, Hey, you have a hall of fame quarterback son who obviously has probably mentally tough, mm-hmm. a guy that, you know, has been probably been pushed by his father and been taught by his father the the basics of the quarterback position. I'm again I'm comparing to um Lynch, who obviously just left us. You know, his brother was obviously coaching him. So it's just a little similar. I know his brother was a Heisman hopeful and stuff. So sure. but they're pushed hard, they're motivated kids, right? And mm-hmm. when you see, you know, when you're being taught by your father who's a Hall of Famer, I'm sure that's like, hey, listen, this is how I want you to do it okay, you didn't do it that way. Let's fix it. And he's being taught the intricacies of the position. Right. Then there's probably a mental side of things, John, that not many high school kids are able to, to understand. I'm sure, I'm sure there's, again, I don't know anything. I'm just talking off the, what I, what, what I would assume that, you know, his father probably taught him mm-hmm. basic fronts and basic blitzes and mm-hmm. defenses. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, listen, this safety does this, this is cover three, this is cover two, this is two man, this is, Tampa two, this is three fire zone. You know I mean? This is field zone blitz. This is how it's going to look. This is three deep three underneath. This is all these different coverages that are going on. I'm sure he has some form of knowledge of them from his father. Now, again, I could be totally wrong here, but I would assume that he has some of those things from his father. Now, when you look at the tape, the kick can spin and he can throw it from all different angles. Mm-hmm. He can throw it on the run. I think that's important. Um, but again, I don't think that they're looking at him and saying to, him, to themselves, hey, let's bring him in right now and have him start immediately. Mm-hmm. That's just from, again, but it's a kid that can come in and will be highly competitive right off the jump, right from the start. And I think that's going to be important for that room. I want to ask you before I, we have some audio here from signing day of Stan Drayton talking about EJ Warner, why he likes him. And, and Adams covered some of it already. Stan Drayton ended up saying some of those same things. I, I did want to ask you about that, Adam, because I think, you know, again, when you came in, um, you know, like you came in and like, yeah, by the, the standard or like the traditional, you know, way that people talk about quarterbacks, you would have been considered undersized, but you, you found a way to have a, a, a good college career and, and, you know, have a chance to get into the league as a quarterback, when you are like, if you're anything less than like six, three or six, four, do you just get used to saying, okay, I might not always be able to see over the line at certain times, but like you obviously found your throwing lanes. Is it something that, that is maybe, um, a little overhyped or a little bit like people make too big of a deal out of it? Or like, how do you compensate for that? Because you were obviously able to do it. Um, it's funny because every once in a while we talk my career mm-hmm. and where I was and what I've done. It's like, and I believe selfishly that if I was six, three, I'd be playing somewhere professionally, whether I'd be retired by now, probably without at least been in the NFL for a few. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. And then I look at someone like PJ Walker, who's shorter than I am, mm-hmm. who made it to the NFL and has been, you know, stuck around for a couple right. of years. So is it a little overhyped? Uh, yes. I think if you look at the guys that um, 
I mean, Kenny Pickett is probably 6'2". Mm-hmm. Sam Howell, uh, he's not overly tall. I can't no. give you the exact. He might be six foot. I think if I remember seeing him at the bowl game. Yeah. Malik he's probably Willis. my height. Malik Willis, you know, he's six foot on yeah. a good day with obviously a ridiculous amount of um, athleticism. Mm-hmm. And then you're talking, um, I don't know about Carson Strong, but you're looking at the guys in the draft now. And those guys aren't overly big. Right. Desmond Ritter has a, you know, a little bit more height than some of those right. other guys. Is it overhyped? Probably. Does it help with certain things? Absolutely. You know what I mean? But like Drew Brees, for instance, you know, he found windows to throw through. Russell. You know what I mean, you could, Russell Wilson, you find windows to throw through. There's drills that you could do to kind of just mm-hmm. visually and, you know, just mentally get yourself into those positions. And, and again, offenses are suited for those guys. Like I'm sure that they're not going to put Elijah Warner under center and have him take seven step drops and expect him to, do certain things, but obviously there's certain things that you could could do with someone like him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it all just depends what they're going to do offensively. Um, it's a little overhyped, but again, I mean, sheesh. I wish I was six three, John. <laughs> or at least <laughs> yeah. I wish I was six three. Yeah. All right. So here is Stan Drayton talking a little about. EJ Warner, and this is from this is from Stan's signing day press conference from a couple of weeks ago, talking about um, what do you liked about EJ Warner, um, and uh, and we'll react to this clip on the other side. But here's a little bit of of uh, what you heard from uh, from signing day. Well, I, I tell you, when you guys get a chance to get to know him, you know, still a little reserved. You know, uh, you know, I hate to reference his his, his dad because I mean, his, his, this is his experience, right? But uh, very similar to that uh, of his dad was a little bit reserved, but has a little quiet little line going on in him. You know what I mean? He's got this little chip on the shoulder, uh, had a negative uh, recruiting experience early on where, where people were, you know, saying that, you know, he was their guy and then he'll walk off of campus. And next thing you know, the next day they were taking another quarterback. So, you know, um, he has a chip on his shoulder. And, hey, man, that's, that's a triple fit to me. You know, um, but from a playing standpoint, the, the kid can deal it. I mean, he can really just, he can spin the ball, uh, you know, really hard to evaluate the strength of his arm because he's so intelligent. He anticipates his throws. He's very accurate. Uh, he throws from different arm angles. He can throw off balance, you know, and when you take a guy that may be a little bit, uh, uh, undersized from the prototypical standpoint of what people normally look for at that position. You know, he's a guy who can extend the play and, and, and you see him never flinch in those moments. So super excited about him. Uh, you get him on a board and you realize that he's been coached. You know, he's very, very intelligent, uh, knows the game inside out and he's a gym rat. I mean, uh, Coach Landorf better be ready to <laughs> spend some time in the office because he's going to definitely make do of his time for sure. You know, so I'm excited about the fact that he loves the game and he's exactly what you want from a mentality standpoint at that position. All right, so some some good stuff there uh, from Stan Drayton talking about EJ Warner, and there's some some additional stuff there. If you check out our coverage on Al Scoop, uh, Dante did a piece with some excerpts from uh, from Stan's press conference from that day. He talks a little bit more about his football IQ and stuff. Um, Adam, I, I wanted to ask you about this too. Again, you don't know what it's like to be uh, EJ Warner, but you you were again now. But you do know what it's like to be highly recruited. Again, you were originally recruited to go to Penn State, and and you were a known commodity in Pittsburgh. 
Um, and this might be a tough question to, to answer, but I'll, I'll ask it to you anyway. What kind of like, obviously you talked about the, the benefits that, that EJ Warner has from learning from a guy like Kurt Warner, just an incredible story, a Super Bowl champion, a guy that was rags to riches story and all that. But you've been in locker rooms before. Do you think that a guy like EJ Warner has to prove himself? And I'm sure he gets asked this all the time. Uh, do you think he has to prove himself even more because he's Kurt's kid? Do you think other guys in the locker room say, okay, um, did you get here did, because you earned it? Or did you get here because of the name on your back? Do you think sometimes guys still look at other guys that way? Or do you also think that that's something that isn't as part of the process as some might think? Yeah. I mean, you, you would hope that his teammates don't think that way and don't feel that way, but with, the way social media is with the way things are done nowadays, I'm sure that's going to be on some guys' minds. Mm-hmm. It's like, you see, it's like Kurt Warner's son has a picture of, you know, EJ and his mom here at Temple. And then Kurt's tweeting about it. It's like, you know, is he really that good or is it just because of his, his father? And it's, 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 I don't know, I guess sad's the word that that's what people have to think about. And it's not mm-hmm. like, just look at the kid play. And like I said, I'm sure coach, coach Drayton has, done a great job of recruiting the kid and, you know, has some relationship with, with him maybe previously, or the offense coordinator has some relationship with him previously. But when you're talking about him, the kid, some of the things I heard, you know, coach Drayton say, you know, he loves the game, right? That's important, a quarterback mm-hmm. position. And you could ask him if he loves the game, he's going to say, yeah, obviously the kid can extend the play. And that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that I look for, John, like everyone says, what's most important accuracy, football IQ. And then to me is like a quick release. You know what I mean? Those three things are a big deal. And those are three things that he mentioned about EJ. So that's important. But again, to answer your your question, I hope that the players don't feel that way and allow EJ his work ethic, the way he leads, even with his quiet nature, according to, you know, to to coach, uh, just the way he leads, the way he impacts the team, um, the things he brings to the table day in and day out to the quarterback room. That's what's going to you know, make him who he is at Temple and kind of let, let him leave his own legacy there. Last question for you before we move on to, to some other things and, and Al Gold and then a couple of mailbag questions. Um, what do you think is going through um, Dewan Mathis's mind now? Now, obviously, I think any, any quarterback knows that even if he started before, there's always going to be competition. Now, obviously, Justin Lynch leaves. Um, and they needed, I mean, they needed some depth at, at quarterback, period, whether it was going to be EJ Warner or anybody. Um, right. I don't know what Mariano Valenti ultimately has, if he can be a guy that can come in and play a few snaps here. I don't know, maybe you could start at some point. Maybe I'm selling him short. But if if you're Dwan Mathis and a guy who I'm sure has had a conversation with Stan Drayton by this point, and Stan, I'm imagining, probably said, hey, you hit the portal you decided you were going to stay. What was your, well, what was your thought process there? You know, were you just dissatisfied with the previous staff or are, are you all in what's going on? What is this, you know, is this in a good way, a little bit of a healthy wake up call for a guy like math is to say, okay, yeah, EJ Warner is 18 years old. Maybe he's not going to be ready to play right away, but does this create a good, a good amount of healthy competition in the room? And also we're discounting. I don't want to discount the fact that, they could add somebody later this spring too. So they may yeah, not, I mean, not adding that, that, That's what I think was going to happen. Uh, regardless, I still think that you're not going to win the championship without a real deal quarterback. Yeah. That's just kind of how it is. I mean, when we won here, like PJ Walker was our quarterback. And obviously we had, you know, Frankie Juice and, you know, Russo and a couple of those guys where we were still winning some games when PJ left. But you're going to need a, 
I guess you could say a game changer at that position. It's like, okay, is the one that guy standing and we'll have a chance to evaluate him. Mm-hmm. You bring in Elijah. Great. Put him in the room, see what he can do. Great. But I think that's a position that you sit there and you keep saying to yourself, who else can we add to this room? Right. There's no guy that's been there for five years and say to themselves, like, this is our guy. This is the guy that we want to lead our program. Who's led our program and done it the right way. Is it a wake up call for DeWan? I don't, I don't, I would imagine he doesn't feel that way. I would imagine he's just a kid that's probably realizing like, Hey man, this college thing goes pretty fast. This is already year, I guess, two going on year three for him. And you know what I mean? He, he's played a little bit last year before getting hurt. Then like you said, hit the portal and things are flying by quickly and things changing on a daily basis at that position in college football as a whole with coaching staff changing in and out. So he needs to really just be on his eight game this spring and, you know, do things the right way and just attack the, the, the off season. I'm sure he is, you know, you haven't seen too much stuff about him, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is done, you know, for a reason, you know, keep him out of that. I guess you could say keep him out of that spotlight for a little bit and let him just get, keep his head down and work. Mm-hmm. One last question for you when it comes to recruiting. When you and, and again, you always had the reputation of of doing a great job of just really wrapping your arms around guys and being able to relate to whoever was there in the locker room. Um, what was your biggest piece of advice to guys who maybe I should say not even just the true freshmen, but maybe some of the mid-year guys who who graduated early and came in and came, got here in January and were ready to be, you know, in spring ball in March and April, because you know, it's not just about like, you just go hit the field and it's a seamless transition. It's about coming into the building. It's about how you adjust and all that stuff. What were some of the things that you would typically see from true freshmen and what advice would you give them to kind of help them along in the transition? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough when you see, like I obviously came to Temple as a, I was already two years into college. So yeah, you had life experience. Yeah. So I've seen um, all the things that you can imagine uh, a college football coming straight out of high school and seeing it at a campus like Temple coming in the summer when, you know what I mean, there's some crazy stuff happening in the city. There's people, there's girls all over the place. There's classes, there's no class. You know what I mean? You're not necessarily um, enrolled in 15 credits. You know, you're taking one class and then you're you know, working out. So you would see a lot of kids, you know, not really um, – being on top of things with time management, I always thought that, that was a big deal for kids coming from high school to college. They just never knew how to, to manage their time. It was always, hey, let me stay up late, get up early, and really try to get after the grind. That's not how it works. Let mm-hmm. me, hey, once football's over, it's like football's not over. Like you, you, you try to make it, you know, you try to, you know what I mean? It's like, hey, you know, leave it in the past, but there's still work that needs to be done. And like I told you before, I, you know, I remember bringing, you know, Joe Jones, a former running back receiver. He was my, uh, one of my, roommates in the summer at Johnson and J&H I think we were at one time I'm like Joe I'm going down to the workout like I'm you're you're coming with me like I forced Joe to get his little butt up mm-hmm. to come work out with me because there was potential in Joe yeah and it was just like hey Joe you, you know this is how it should be done and you know I wasn't perfect don't get me wrong but you have to find a way to get those guys to do a little bit extra and again if it's 15, 20 minutes. I seen, you know, Quantel Reigns and a couple of those guys working out on Instagram, you know, over the weekend and whatever. Obviously, they have some time off. So it's cool to see, again, a couple of people taking charge and, you know, doing that, you know, that one extra rep or, you know, doing a little extra workout on Saturdays, whether it's stretching or a little one on one action or just some things to keep things rolling. But hopefully those kids are enjoying their experience, but at the same time, putting in the necessary work to make sure they're competitive when that time comes. 
What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important now than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either, and plans start at under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com believe or use the code believe that's B-L-E-A-V to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. What about um, as we go now to uh, looking at a, another thing here that we talked about uh, before we get into the mailbag with Al Golden, um, I don't, I'm going to guess that you're probably not surprised to see him getting back into the college game. So as we're sitting here recording this now around four o'clock on uh, Tuesday afternoon, a couple of days after the Super Bowl, um, it looks like Al Golden is set to become Notre Dame's defensive coordinator um, after some time in the NFL. Again, obviously on Sunday, he was coaching uh, the Bengals linebackers. They fell just short of uh, grabbing what would have been a really cool Super Bowl uh, title for them. Uh, but came up just short against the Rams. Adam, just your your initial thoughts on this about Al, a guy who was obviously critically important to to your career. I mean, the two of you are really kind of linked when you look at um, the turnaround of the Temple football program. Obviously, there were a lot of people and a lot of pieces involved, but you're two of the names that that, that come up. So, what do you think of when you see him getting back into the into the college game now and and being part of a new staff over at Notre Dame? Yeah, I mean, you're right. There were a lot of people that were involved in, in helping the turnaround, but at the forefront was obviously Coach Golden and the way he did things. And I texted him this morning when I first saw, obviously there were some rumblings and stuff. My brothers were mentioning it. Um, but I texted him this morning and said, hey, you know, I was rooting for you. Even though, you know, I'm a Steelers fan, I, at the last <laughs> job, I, I, for some reason, at the, the last job, I was like, man, I really hope the Bengals win. Mm-hmm. For some odd reason, I didn't feel that way the entire game until the last mm-hmm. drive. But I was, you know, I just said, "Hey, congratulations on a great year." It was pulling for you guys. Hope you and the family are well. And he texts back, and then literally an hour later, you know, I got the notification like, you know, Al Golden's the new defensive coordinator, defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. So it's exciting. I mean, I'm sure that his assistant coaches that you're going to be working under him better be ready for a guy that's going to going to bring it every single day. He's yep. going to be extremely detailed. He's passionate. Um, you know, obviously, before he came to Temple, he was one of the youngest and brightest recruiting minds in all of college football at Virginia. Um, so the guy knows what to do and knows how how to recruit and can do it at on a national level in Notre Dame. Obviously, I think they have the top uh, recruiting class in 2023, if I'm not mistaken. So they already have that that platform there, and it'll just be another step to – again, I'm not sure of what his end game is or what his end goal is if it's once to – you know, become a DC in the NFL if he wants to get back into the head coaching role and call it. I'm not sure of that, but obviously, being a defense coordinator in Notre Dame and working with with uh, Marcus Freeman is his name, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, being able to work with him, I'm sure he'll be able to help him. I'm sure that's another reason why I was was hired. You know, having head coach experience, you know, at Miami and at Temple, and being able to help a young head coach was probably important to him. Um, and they could just you know bounce ideas off one another and see how that relationship works. So I'm. Like all Temple fans, I would venture to say maybe 98% of us are excited for him 
and um, became a little bit of Notre Dame fans, I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean, is this – again, I mean, he's he has a great football IQ to him and now can coach pretty much anywhere, but – I kind of feel like I, I got maybe we talked about this. You know, he was on our uh, he was on our Alsku podcast back in the fall um, when he was coming into town for to be inducted into Temple's Hall of Fame, and we were trying to line up when we were going to do the interview. And I was talking to him on the phone, and we were trying to do it one day, and he said, well, "What about Thursday? I've got time Thursday." And I kind of forget how the life of an NFL coach is a little bit different on game day. And I've talked to Matt about this because you get your install done and then you're kind of just not to say that you just forget about the game, but a lot of it's done. Whereas with college, you're on these guys constantly. You're making sure that they're going to bed. You're doing bed checks and all that stuff. And so I was like, what about Thursday? I said, you're going to be good to talk Thursday with the game. And he, he just said, I've got, I've got like four or five hours where I'm not with my guys and I'm just going mm-hmm. out of my mind. And I remember thinking at the time, like, he sounds like, and again, I mean, I'm sure like the, the Bengals had an impact on him. The Lions had an impact on him, but it, it felt to me like here's a guy who I think might miss really having that extra layer of impact on the college game. And really, again, not that you don't impact lives in the NFL because you do, but I kind of feel like he found his, his home back in college. And if he, you know, it does well for Marcus's staff and, and can be the type of defensive coordinator. We know it can be that you, you might start seeing his name mentioned for jobs again, you know, and I, yeah. I you kind of feel like college is where he really thrives just because of like the whole person that he is. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. And I'm sure, like I said, if you got that from your conversations with him, I'm sure you're not far off at all. Mm-hmm. And I just think of like, like Evan Cooper is the cornerback coach at right. Carolina and he obviously had did a great job at Temple and at Baylor um, and now at the Panthers of um, communicating with his guys and making an impact. Like I see JC Orn and, and, and Coop, you know what I mean? Communicating on social media and then that's my little brother, like certain things like that, certain guys can make an impact like that. And it really hits home with, 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 with players. And I think Al has that kind of, you know, impact on guys. I think, like I said, Coop has some impact on it. I thought I made a little impact on some guys in certain ways certain guys can can do that. And then there's guys that, you know, have their impact felt, whether it's on the board or teaching football, but like some guys are just better at, and whether or not they, it, it comes naturally or not, some guys are just better than others at it. And I think Al is one of those guys that probably does like to have his hands all in the pot. You know what I mean? And again, whether that's good or bad, I mean, like I said, when I was, a, I just got done, I made this help make this manual for him. It was like 560 pages or something crazy. I still have it saved on my computer. Mm-hmm. And it's like every single thing you could ever imagine a business, a program being talked about and how it's run from the beginning to end, the bottom to the top, that was in there. I'm talking quotes, hierarchies, like um, just job descriptions, you know, who reports to who, picture, like literally and I would just sit there like on my internship my senior year and I would just put stuff together mm-hmm. and just steal it and put it together and steal it. And it's still there. Like people, you know, a couple other people used it. And But he, I think he likes to have his hands in the pot, John. Um, and he'll be a head coach. If that's what he, I think here's what I do think. I think whatever he wants to do, soon enough he'll be able to do it. Whether that's yeah. the NFL, stay in Notre Dame, get back in the college head coaching world, he'll be able to do it. Wait, you said so this was 
this was a coaching this was an internship you're doing your senior year at temple where you were helping yeah them yeah they were they weren't they weren't too excited about me uh, being a former player doing my senior internship with the football program yeah. um, i'm i'm not too happy with the sthm um group uh they gave me a c minus for my internship to so my gpa just plummeted so it was like 12 credits so mm-hmm. i got like i basically got four c minuses so my gpa just just shot downhill and I couldn't get into grad school because of what happened in 2008 with my senior internship. So that's another story. I mean, I'm not too happy with STHM about that. But um, yeah, it was during my the spring while I was training, mm-hmm. obviously for pro days and stuff. I was doing the internship at Temple, and it was just that was like my first glimpse of coaching. Like I was, you know, and I wasn't really coaching. I was kind of interning. Mm-hmm. So I was with uh the likes of, I don't remember who the heck I was with at the time. I mean, I was doing stuff for rule and I was doing stuff for a bunch of other guys at the time, but it was interesting. But mm-hmm. I remember that manual and I printed it out 19 times. I have it in 12 different books in my garage. So mm-hmm. one final question about Al, before we get to the mailbag, do you remember what your first conversation was like with him? Because I'm not saying that by far that Al's like the only CEO type of coach out there, but there are some guys who like just want to coach ball and just want to be left alone. And then there's a guy like Al who will talk to you about leadership models and business models at like GE and Southwest and all this stuff. He's just got, he's got another gear. And even as a reporter, he would crack me up. There were some things that he would say and I would chuckle to myself and it never came across as like, he's trying to be fake. He just, he just had this other gear. And I thought, I wonder if he was like this from the time he was like 10. He was just a little yeah. different. What would do you remember what your first conversation was like with him when because again, you had you were, you know, most people know this, but just in case you don't, Adam was recruited to go to Penn State, was going to play defensive back there, decided uh to go play baseball. So you had already been away from home and you had that life experience. You got drafted by the Blue Jays. So you played a bunch of different sports and you came back and played at Temple. So you had a couple of years of life experience. You weren't necessarily like the super wide-eyed 18-year-old, but still, nonetheless, you're being recruited. Do you remember what, what your first few conversations were like with him? I don't. I remember, I think I might have mentioned this on one of our previous posts, on one of our previous podcasts, or maybe an interview you did with me whenever I was a player, but, like, I remember he. I asked him why. I said, you know, he's asking me a ton of questions. We're talking back and forth. Obviously, you know, we, I went on my visit, and I was deciding between essentially Temple and Ohio University. Those mm-hmm. are the two places I was going to go. Uh, and I was like, coach, like, why did you come to Temple? And he said, no, I came to Temple for a challenge. And like, I've won everywhere I've been, everything I've done, I've been successful at. This is the first real challenge that I'm going to go through. And that's kind of what I was looking for um, whenever I came to Temple. I was looking for a, a challenge. Like, everywhere I've been, we've been successful. Well, I'm not saying we won championships or whatnot, but we've always been successful. And I was looking for something different. And like I said, I could have continued to play baseball. I could have went to Ohio University. But kind of when he when he hit me with that and he said that to me, I was like, okay, this is the place I want to be. This is the challenge that I want to take on. And, you know, we took it on head first. And, you know, we got knocked around quite a few times. And, um, you know, we got whooped up on. But at the end of the day, we helped change the culture. But like you said, I mean, he's the CEO type. He's the guy that um, he does, like you said, he has these little quirky comments that's like, is that a joke or is that serious? I can't tell. Should I laugh or should I be serious? And like, you just can't tell sometimes, but you know, he's a pretty cool guy who's, you know, like I said, highly invested in whatever he's uh, 
whatever he's doing. And, and that's what I respect the most about him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he cares a ton and, you know, he, 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 he wears his heart on his sleeve and you can see the passion in him. Mm-hmm. All right. So we do have a few uh, mailbag questions to, to get to here. Um, a couple of them are from Rich Barak uh, on Twitter, Richie B 61 is the handle. Um, so Richie has a couple of uh, coaching questions here. Um, any idea what happened with Gabe Infante and why Thad Ward left? I thought he was staying as a wide receiver coach, but Adam, I'll, we'll start with Gabe. I mean, I, I haven't really talked to Gabe since he left other than to, to wish him well. I don't know. Do you have any insight there as to why? Yeah, I just, I'm not going to say it on air. I guess yeah. that's, I'm going to plead the fifth yeah. when it comes to that. Um, but, you know, I talked to Gabe a couple of times. Um, I'm, I'm excited for, you know, his next venture at Penn State. Um, I know he has a, a baby on the way pretty soon here. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm not, I don't think, I think people already know this. If they don't, we'll have to cut this out, John, but, you know, he's, he's about to be, he's going to be a father soon. But um, and then the, the Thad part, I mean, that's just part of the business. Yeah. Uh, you know, Thad's yeah. been a couple different places. I guess I mean, you can look at the staff that he's put together so far. I mean, Jafar Williams was just at Virginia Tech two weeks ago or two months ago. And, you know, he's here and you're talking, Weez was Georgia Tech and the CFL and all these different like, people just, that's just the, the nature of the business now. And if you look like you have alscoop.com, right, John, that's your, that's your deal. If you could look at footballscoop.com, that's the coaching version of, hey, where are the coaches going? Every single day, somebody's leaving a place to go to yep. another place. And yeah. that's just the way the business is. I mean, you see in the NFL, the Panthers lost two coaches. They go race at the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Dudes are flying, you know, eight coaches from the Panthers are new guys. You know what I mean? So it's not just happening in college football. You know, yeah. even the top, the top of the chart, like Alabama, Georgia, their, their DB coach left, just won the national championship. He just left to go to Miami. Yeah. So how does that happen? And, you know, it's just not Temple. It's now, don't get me wrong. Now we've had some good coaches here, John. So he were plucking the right coaches, I hope. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, again, I get why I think there are certain topics in, in college football and college basketball that come up in certain trends and then fans tend to forget. And you're obviously very close to it because you've, you've played and you've coached. So you've, you've lived it and I've covered it. And sometimes you have to remind people that this stuff happens. I understand why they ask. I mean, like, you know, with that, had a chance to join Kansas state staff, like this happens where there is some shuffling around during this time where some guys, and I don't know if, I don't think this was the case with Thad from what I can gather. I don't think this was something that was in the works for a few weeks. And then he said, it's done, Stan, I'm just going to wait to, to leave until after you sign everybody, but he has a chance to go to Kansas state. I mean, people forget that Matt rule had Nick Rolovich lined up as his offensive yeah. coordinator, they had agreed in principle and then Nevada agreed to double his salary. So Matt lost him. And I remember a few, uh, you know, a few fans were thinking, Oh, this is, this is not a good sign. Matt rule couldn't get the, the offensive coordinator that he targeted. And then we know that things worked out just fine for Matt rule, you know? So mm-hmm. this is, this is something that happens in the college football world, Richie. So again, understand why you're why you're asking the question and then um while we were on a break between recording episodes richie had given us another question here is it concerning that our recently hired assistant coaches keep getting plucked meaning how long will the staff stay position players stay for position coaches as well so again ola adams who stan had hired from notre dame a, a guy who again i didn't get the chance to meet him but a, a lot of people Tell me that he's a very well thought of guy. He had done a great job as Nova's defensive coordinator was coming in here to join Stan staff um, and was 
at Temple for a matter of weeks, and now he's going to join the Broncos staff. So again, this this stuff this stuff does happen. So is it concerning? No, I don't think it's concerning. Like Adam just said to you guys, uh, I, I think that you know these other teams, these other programs, whether it's Kansas State or whether it's a, a you know a NFL team like the Broncos, they're they're plucking the right people. But this is this is stuff that happens. So I don't know that it's anything. You know, it's not like Stan lost his entire staff after signing day. That's obviously a completely different story, but this stuff happens. Um, next question here uh, comes from Twitter, Paul Seeley. The Twitter handle is pseeley99. Uh, Paul wants to know uh, our opinions on the impacts of name, image, and likeness on Temple, the American Athletic Conference, and college football. Um, Adam, we were talking about this a little bit before we recorded, and I, I think that Temple still is still really figuring out all the different aspects of what they're going to offer their student athletes for, you know, for name, image, and likeness. There are some that have already taken advantage of like small sponsorship opportunities and stuff like that. But I'll ask you as a guy who didn't have the opportunity to take advantage of NIL when you were in college and you look at it now, um, how do you think it's going to impact the game? We see the high end of it where, you know, guys at Alabama and other places they're, they're getting a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, ton of uh, it's not going to be like that everywhere, but how do you think uh, I'll, what, what comes into your mind? A two-part question for you kind of to amend this a little bit. What, what hits your mind when you think of it immediately? And what do you think is possible for Temple to do here with name, image, and likeness in terms of like trying to create fits for their athletes? Yeah, I, I don't, I can't say that things are unfair. Um, that's, that's like taking the sheep way out, the easy way out, because it's just how the business is right now. Um, somebody offered Caleb Williams a million dollars to go to Eastern Michigan. I think it might've been Charlie Batch and his group offered Caleb Williams, obviously from Oklahoma who went to USC a million dollars to go to East. Like go ahead and offer me a million dollars to go to Eastern Michigan. Guess what? I'm on that next, uh, I might, I don't know. I'll probably just rent me a, whatever the most expensive car is and drive on up. Yeah, not pleasant. Uh, like I said, yeah, I mean, I can't say that it's unfair, um, but just the way the things are like the transfer portal, is that unfair right now? until things are changed until they make some, you know, they're they're trying to say, okay, let's see how this thing goes. Oh, this is how it's going. Okay. These are the alterations we're going to make. And then again, like I, like I said off air, John, I think if temple is successful and temple makes a run, like we did in 16 or like Cincinnati did this year, I think the NIL deals will, will come around for the guys at temple. And again, it won't be millions of dollar type of deal, but there'll be more opportunities for our guys to go ahead and, I don't want to say cash in, but kind of cash in on, you know, the, the things that they're doing and the things that, the, you know, they're doing for Temple University and the football program. So when you win, good things happen. Obviously, when you win, coaches leave. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? So it's like winning brings a lot of good to a lot of different people. Coaches are cashing in. And then when you win, hopefully the players start to be able to cash in a little bit and, again, just show their brand and allow themselves to, um, I don't want to say get what they deserve, but mm -hmm. just, I guess, get a little piece of the pie that, you know, that they're working so hard for. And I know that people are going to say, oh, well, they're on full scholarship, right? Uh, they're getting money for books and board and all this stuff. But again, when you see other people getting all this stuff, it's like, okay, how can I find a way to, to do it? And it's just like, hey, small things, you know, whether it's a t-shirt company, a, um, a sandwich shop, you know what I mean? Whatever the case may be, hopefully some guys can, can start to get involved with some of those things here at Temple.
Let me ask you another follow-up here to that. And then before we close out the final question here, um, back in the summer on our Alscoop podcast, we had Tilo Kunkel on and he's a, he's a STHM professor and he studied this stuff. And I think it was either a question we had asked him, or maybe it was a mailbag question, because I think one of the things that fans worry about is let's say this thing continues to grow and grow. Um, and maybe you've been asked this before, does it become challenging for coaches if there are different guys who are getting different amounts of money? Like, does human nature ever take over? Is there ever a situation where jealousy can set in and somebody says, oh, well, it must be nice to be you. You just signed a $50,000 endorsement deal with a car dealership. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not getting that. I'm not getting that. Why should I be busting my ass when you're getting this? Do you think that creeps into it? Because when we asked Tilo about that, he's not a coach, but he said, well, that's part of what coaches might have to deal with now. Do you think that's kind of too plain a way to answer it? Or do you think that is just part of the game now where if it gets to that level, coaches are going to say it's another level of in-house management that I'm going to have to do with my players. Yeah. There's, there's going to, there's, there's going to be, there's probably talks to that at at certain universities. Like, you know, I don't know if it's what's going on at Temple right now. Like for instance, being back in Pittsburgh, Kenny Pickett has this Silverado pick. I don't know the trucks guys. I'm sorry. If you're a big truck lover, I don't know. Kenny Pickett has this souped up, Mm -hmm coolest truck I've ever seen. And, you know, he has a dealership and he's posted about it. And guess what? Like, I don't think the backup quarterback or I don't think that his running back has that right. same exact vehicle. And it's like, you see Kenny posting this thing. It's like, well, you know, I know he's getting all the hype and stuff, but like, I'm the one blocking for him and yep. I'm the one doing this. And there could be some, some jealousy setting in, but you know, also Kenny has a deal with this restaurant. Right. And, Every week he brings the hogs with him, like starting a line and gets to they eat one meal a day, one meal a week free with Kenny at mm-hmm. the restaurant. So there's certain things I think you can find ways to to aid the guy that's maybe making the money or or like the guy from uh, Miami, uh, Derek King, did mm-hmm. something where he gave his entire offensive line a certain portion of one of his deals, or you know, I mean, someone the offensive the entire offensive line at Texas is getting certain things. So. Yep. No, you're, you're, I'm, I'm talking about Pitt, Texas, and um, who else? Did I say Miami, and you know, you're going. I'm talking big time schools with you know big time money and and you know money that we don't even know where it comes from sometimes. So, yeah, it, like I said, it, there might be some form of in-house management that needs to be done, but it, I can't say it's a free for all. That you know, what I mean, if, if like I said, if you do well on the field, like if I was Jaden Blue, I'd have been in Baby Blues the restaurant I'd have been knocking on their door to try to get myself an NIL deal in a second. Um, you know what I mean? If I'm Dewan Mathis and I'm the starter this year, I'm finding a way to, to get to Qdoba or wherever I like to eat. And I'm being their spokesman. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But again, if you're, if we're, if we're, if we're two and 12 or whatever the heck we're like who wants to represent a guy then? Um, yeah. So like I said, you bring a lot of that stuff to you when you win football games. And I think our guys understand that. Speaking of, speaking of Kenny Pickett, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, do, how involved were you when you, I mean, he was, it, I'm sure Temple fans know this now, you, he was committed to Temple for a short amount of time and then decommitted when his recruitment opened up. It wasn't a long time, but showed that you guys were zeroed in on the right guy. Do you remember, what do you remember yeah, that time? Just, kid from Motion Township wasn't super, wasn't super, like he wasn't like a five-star guy, whatever right. that means, but he started to have more programs pay attention to him. What do you remember from that time? Yeah, I remember um, I just did a, a segment on 93.7 The Fan, a little radio show here with uh, Doran Dickerson. Yeah, former pick guy. Yeah, former pick guy. West Allegheny guy? Yeah, yeah. He does a great job. I've been trying to tell him, Dickerson, DeMichael, we'll have our own little show segment going. Yeah. And I, I need to get those guys to bite down there, man. But um, 
yeah, I was telling him about, you know, Kenny. And again, um, we had him at camp, obviously, and he was committed to us. And we went into the bubble. We just got the bubble, the indoor done, the old indoor across the street mm-hmm. from the new one. Mm-hmm. And he's in there. And we had all our good guys in there from camp. And he was short. Like, I kid you not, he had to have been shorter than I was. I wish I had the camp numbers, but he was smaller than I was. He had his hat backwards, a little bit of hair flowing out. And he was just spinning the football, man. I mean, he was competitive. And I remember just pushing his buttons at camp and trying to get him to, again, the same thing I do with the guys I'm training now. It's like, hey, you throw a crappy ball, like, fix it. You don't have the time to – you have to make an adjustment very quickly. And uh, the kid was competitive. And I remember, you know, when Matt left, that's whenever I decided, to, hey, he's going to go ahead and look around a little bit. And obviously he decided to, to take his talents elsewhere. Um, but I just remember him being a talented kid, a competitive kid, hard-nosed, tough. Um, he had a good family. Like I mentioned earlier, his, you know, his family spoke with my sister a couple of times when they go to her restaurant that she works at. So it's pretty cool to see, again, a kid who has a ton of tape. He reminds me of PJ a little bit. I know PJ mm-hmm. didn't get drafted, but who has a ton of film, like a ton of film, years worth of film. And then he had this one outstanding season. It's like, OK, now this kid's about to get drafted in the top 10 picks. Um, so I'm excited to see where he lands. Um, and it's a cool story. I mean, you keep seeing pictures of Temple and him and him and Matt, mm-hmm. you know, floating around the internet. So I'm excited to see where he lands. Do you think he needed just that one extra year where you're just you're that much more comfortable, Locked that much more emotionally yeah. mature? Do you think that just was the difference for him? That's a big deal. And like I said, if Pitt was eight and I don't know how many games this year, eight and five, I would I'd venture to say that Kenny Pickett, and if you're listening, Kenny, I'm not saying this. In a, in a negative way, but you're probably not going to be the first quarterback taken. Once you're on that platform of being on national football and in the ACC championship and playing big time college football on a daily basis and performing, that's when guys see you. And that's when guys are like, whoa, 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 who is this Kenny Pickett kid? I know he's played a lot of football because when you play a lot of football, John, you can see a ton of negatives, right? Like, mm-hmm. like say for instance, Mitch Trubisky, right? Who played one year in North Carolina. Big year at Carolina. Got drafted. Yep. One year, that's all he played. And now it's like, okay, he's a, he's a legit backup now. Mm-hmm. Now Kenny's played, and, and say, for instance, PJ, they played four years. And it's like you have so much film where people can go back and say, well, Kenny couldn't do this back in 2018. It's like, guys, that's four, four years ago. The kid's gone through three offensive coordinators. He has different systems. I mean, he's, he's done this, 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 and that now. And, um, you know, like I said, one huge year you know, obviously helped him tremendously. And I remember I told Terrence Knight this. I mean, Terrence was a good player for us. And he, like, just kind of – I'm going to use this word because Al Golden's flipped the switch, right? We used to always say flip the oh, switch. Yep. Um, and, like, Terrence Knighton, right? Like, yep. he dominated – he dominated probably even, you know, a couple of years before that. But his senior year, it was like, holy cow, this dude is, like, chasing running back from Ohio 45 yards down the field and forcing right. a fumble. And he had one, like, legit, I'm a dog year, and he got drafted, right? And yeah. he had an NFL career, and now he's still coaching and stuff. Yeah. So that's all you kind of need, and um, and that's kind of what happened with Kenny. Yeah, some great stuff on Kenny. Appreciate that. So mm-hmm. final mailbag question to close things out. This one is from the Temple uh, mm-hmm. Facebook group, one of the Facebook uh, groups uh, out there. Uh, it's from Brandon Bobrick, and the question, Brandon's question is, Outside of Pruitt, meaning Jackson Pruitt, who's the offensive lineman that they say from Cast Tech out in Detroit, doesn't look like this class addresses the offensive line. Can you give your thoughts on where you think things stand with the O-line? Are they happy with what they have? Um, and, and I'll just tell you really quickly here, Brandon, it's a great question. I, I actually did ask Chris Weezy, excuse me, asked Stan Drayton about that 
um, on signing day. And you can go back and check out our Al Scoop story if you want to listen to the audio. Um, you know, and again, if you check out Dante's story, uh, we've got the audio embedded in there from uh, about two weeks ago. And that was one of the first questions I asked Stan. I said, obviously, you, you, yeah, I basically asked him something to the effect of like, you had a lot of needs. You know, you, you signed a lot of linebackers. You only took out one offensive lineman. Is, are we to assume that maybe you're a little happier with the offensive line? And he said, in part, I'm just going to read you a quick excerpt here. Um, you know, he talked about having 85 scholarships. You have to figure out how you're going to divide your scholarship numbers out. Uh, but he said, you know, Chris Wiesahan, knowing a lot of these guys in the past and trusting his development uh, that he has proven over time, he feels as though he can develop some guys to be functional. So I do think part of it is Stan saying, I've got some faith in Chris. And then they will, at the, the second part of his quote here, and I'll read part of it to you is, now that doesn't mean that we're comfortable where we are. What we're going to do is we're going to go in the spring, evaluate, and again, as we know, the transfer portal opens up again and again. I know I said in the beginning of this deal that we won't build our culture around the portal, but we need to use it based on need. After the spring, we'll reassess that uh, that position and see if we really do have some needs. Um, he said we just didn't want to get into a position where we we're talking about having low-hanging fruit in a rough situation early in the recruiting process. So we decided to just pump the brakes a little bit, take the guys that we were able to get a great evaluation on and develop a really good relationship with and hang our hat on those guys. But that position is definitely not done. So um, that's a direct answer to your question right there. And it speaks to, I think, Adam, what, what you were talking about earlier, um, not going for a position just because you think you need it. If you think you've got some great linebackers that, that fit whatever type you have, if they're six, two, six, three, two twenty, and they can, and they can fly and they can rush the passer, mm -hmm. they can drop into coverage. You take those guys cause DJ Elliott's going to need them. And then you see what Chris can do with this group. Um, but you don't, when Stan's talking about low hanging fruit there, Oh, okay. We'll just take this kid. And then you bring him in like, Ooh, he might be a D two talent or, you know, a guy that needs to drop down to FCS. So it's a great question. And again, it's one of the first things that I, I, I thought to ask Stan, but I do think it's a bit of a nod to, to, to wheeze there and, you know, to say, I'm going to see what he can do with this group. I mean, Adam, is that kind of not surprising to you when you hear Stan say that, where he might be leaning on wheeze a little bit here to say, let's see what you can do with this group. And then we'll, we'll attack it again in the spring. Yeah. I mean, it makes a ton of sense. And I, and I'm going to say this, like, I, I, it feels like I, it's the easy way out too because Weez is obviously known as an O-line developer and mm -hmm. does a great job developing kids. So I'm sure Weez probably told him, like, hey, listen, I'll get these kids right because mm -hmm. obviously Weez is a confident coach yeah. and that's what I love about him. But if they had guys that they can get that would come in and compete, they would have tried to get them and they would have brought yeah. them in. So I think obviously you get the Houston transfer. Um, you get Jackson, that's two more. I think that puts you at like 15 scholarship linemen. I think it might be – you still need a couple more. I think it's like 17 is the number you want. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure they're still scouring the waiver, the waiver wire. Which is essentially what it is, really, you know. Yeah, so I'm sure they're still trying to figure that out. But, again, there's some guys that play some football. There's some guys that are going to have to gain some weight. There's some guys that are going to have to get a little tougher. There's some guys that are going to have to get a little better uh, technique-wise and understanding, uh, you know, leverage and body position up front. Again, I've never played O-line, but I'm, those are O-line words if you're listening. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see what – you know, what they do this spring. And I know Weasel have them, you know, coached up. I think our buddy Boozer's GA and over there. Is he not? Is he, is he, G, is he a GA now? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yes. So he'll be getting them right too. So I'm anxious to see, to see the, to see those guys perform over the spring yeah. as well. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, Adam. We really uh, appreciate all of you guys tuning in and listening this week. Hopefully we'll get some more guests for you. 
uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, congrats to Al Golden on landing the Notre Dame defensive coordinator job. And again, thanks to all of you for tuning in for another episode. And we will talk to you soon. See you guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.